Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Josh Bonatal. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's going on in my neck of the woods, and just kind of get you up to speed with what's been going on over the last seven days, 10 days, or however long it's been since you listened to an episode. So last week was my kiddos fall break. So it felt like we were in a groove for like two weeks. They were back in school, starting to make some moves. And then literally after those two weeks, they had a week off for fall break, but it was all good. Got uh, my usual coaching in in the morning because as I will allude to here in just a little bit, the NBA season is going to be on us much sooner than I think most of us expected. So got all my workouts in and all my coaching in in the morning, got home whenever I could, um, midday, early afternoon to get some extra time in with the kids. Actually, last Wednesday, took them on a little getaway. Jess and I, uh, well, Jess did most of the planning, (laughs) if we're being frank. But basically what we decided to do, we went down to Brown County, Indiana, which sounds super far. It's only about an hour and 15 minutes away, but it's this beautiful kind of country town, if you will. It definitely feels like a throwback. Feels like you should be 30 or 40 years in the past because the Wi-Fi service there is super spotty. Everything is within walking distance. So if you get a hotel or if you stay at like a bed and breakfast, you can literally walk to restaurants and shops and coffee shops. I mean, it's just, it's a cool little area and it just feels like kind of old timey Indiana, if you will. So it was really fun to take the kids, got a little hotel down there, got to go swimming, heated pool. I mean, I always joke around, we could go to the Marriott like 15 minutes down the road. And if you're in a different bed and they have a pool, it feels like you're on vacation. So kiddos had a great time. We went swimming. They had a little miniature golf course out back, which I mean, both my kids, but especially Kate, just loving the mini golf and then got to go out, do a little shopping, not just there, but there's a huge outlet mall. I joke around, but I literally never go shopping for myself. And it is, it's generally for something black that I wear to work. So whether it's jackets, pants, shorts, like the Edinburgh outlet mall is pretty sweet because they've got Nike and they got Under Armour. So got some shopping done. It was a productive trip and overall a pretty fun week. You know, like we didn't really go anywhere other than that, but it was just good because we found stuff to do around here. The weather was really nice. So all in all, a pretty successful fall break. They're back at school now, which is probably a good thing because I think my next month is going to be even busier than expected. Uh, We got kind of a I want to say kind of a curveball thrown at us. A lot of the NBA guys that I work with and guys that are kind of on the cusp of getting there were under the impression like they weren't going to have to go anywhere until maybe January. A lot of the rumors that were going around was that the NBA may not start until end of February, first week in March. I'd heard as as late as late March, they were really going to try and get fans in the stands. Now it looks like we're looking at a very sharp turn or change of events where now they're talking about the NBA starting before Christmas day, which is just mind blowing to me. They're talking about December 22nd, which would effectively give us three to four more weeks of training. I mean, some of these guys just got out of the bubble and have just kind of started getting ramped back up. So it's going to be a whirlwind for the next month, but man, I'm excited. I want to see these guys play. I'd love to see them just get in a normal routine again. So excited for them, excited for the next month and just get as much high quality work in over that time as we possibly can. The weekend, nothing too, too exciting there. Checked out a farmer's market, 
went to get some family photos done. If you have a family, especially little people, you know how that's always uh, a roll of the dice. What is the weather going to be like? Is it going to be sunny? Is it going to be windy? Is it going to rain? <laughs> you know, luckily uh, we got them in. It was a little bit chillier than we had expected, but we got some beautiful fall leaves and fall colors. The kids were uh, very amiable to the entire process. <laughs> Kendall, we used to joke around, would like never smile when she was with Jess. Not granted, that was more when she was younger. She's always been good about it since. Kate is very much a roll of the dice. He takes after his dad quite a bit in his moodiness <laughs> and his attitude at times. So he was great, though. He put on his happy face. The photographer is very engaging, so she made him smile and laugh a lot. So we got family photos done. Check that box. And then this week... Lots of coaching, as I alluded to. I've got a podcast day coming up. I've got Steve Tajan from the U.S. men's national team coming on. So I'm very excited about that one. Got my guy Pat Rigsby coming back on. We're going to talk about kind of the evolution of coaching, this hybrid model that he's talked a lot about, mixing online and offline coaching. I think that's going to be very relevant because with like this election around the corner and you never know, like what are they going to do after that? You see cases of the coronavirus spiking again, are we going to have to get shut down again? Like nobody knows. And you hear about Europe is getting shut back down in certain areas. So I think that's going to be a very timely and relevant show and hopefully one that you guys enjoy listening to. So got that coming up. Got, I call it Kid AD. I've been taking both children in, Kindle twice a week, Cade once a week to just start moving around. Like Kendall's never probably going to be a pro basketball player. She's like 10th percentile height and weight. And she likes soccer. She likes softball, but that doesn't really give her much to do in the winter. So I told her, okay, well, your training starts now. So we've been going in twice a week, mostly just moving around, learning how to do different things coordination wise, like skipping, jumping rope, working on some power development, throwing some med balls, jumping, all that good stuff. And then we always finish off with some weight training, as she likes to call it, which is basically I'm teaching her how to squat, how to lunge, how to do like a ring row, push-ups, just basic stuff, like teaching her to be a more functioning human being so that ultimately when she goes out in the real world, she can take great care of her body and hopefully just gives her, I think the most important thing for me is just giving her this amazingly strong and positive body image because I know how difficult that can be for young girls these days. So that's kind of my thought with her. And then Cade, of course, we're going to the gym without him. He doesn't like that. Kendall wants the one-on-one time. So now I've basically created a, a class and I'm using air quotes. You can't see them, but a class for Cade. And basically we go in and just jack around for about 45 minutes. We throw the Frisbee, we kick the soccer ball, Um, He'll jump on some things. He'll talk some trash to some people, maybe get a couple buckets, but basically just getting him in the gym, moving around. And then at some point in time when he's a little bit more coachable, I think would be a good way to to put it. uh, We'll start doing some more formal stuff, but he's a couple years off. I mean, that guy just turned seven, but I think Kendall at like nine and a half, almost 10 is at a great age. Start learning some of these body skills, give her the, the gym and the PE class that they don't get these days. And hopefully, again, like I said, just just give her a really strong movement foundation that she can build on for the rest of her life. So, all right, that does it for me. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Josh Bonatal. 
It seems like almost every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who was frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. The exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. And last but not least, I've added an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in March, 2021. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Josh Bonatal is one of the most highly regarded strength coaches in America, and is the founding vice president of operations and current vice president of performance for future, a fitness technology company that provides digital, one-on-one, personalized coaching. Previously, Josh was the director of sports performance for Purdue Men's Basketball, where he oversaw training and nutrition for a program that perennially ranked in the top 25, earned two Sweet 16 appearances, and had multiple All-American selections during his tenure. Before that, Josh worked for the Chicago Bulls and the NBA. As a part of the Bulls' strength and conditioning staff, he worked with Derrick Rose, while Rose won Rookie of the Year and MVP awards and contributed to the team's 62-win season in 2011 and 2012. In this show, Josh and I talk about how he basically achieved his life dream by the age of 24 and was forced to dream even bigger. From there, we talk about how he took a big chance, moved out of coaching to work for a startup, and where he's at now. But I think the coolest part of this show is the path and evolution that Josh has been on and why I really feel there's no ceiling for this guy whatsoever. Anyway, this is a really fascinating show and I think you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Josh, man, thanks so much for coming back on the show here today. Really excited to have you back on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and what's going on with you? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think you and I have, I think it was 11 years ago, the the first time that you gave me the opportunity to, to come on. And at that time, I was really just starting my coaching strength and conditioning career was with the Chicago Bulls had just started out as the assistant strength coach. And shortly after that, I, I spent four years in Chicago, more or less right out of college and had the opportunity to go and take over the the men's basketball program at Purdue University, thanks in in large part to 
a mentor of mine, Mike Boyle, who had recommended me for the position. Spent seven years there building a program really from the ground up at Purdue. And I think that was the the second time you were gracious enough to to have me on was kind of in the middle of all that. And, and I was, I was, you know, down my rabbit hole of, of really starting to launch a, and build a, a player led culture with, with our team. I think when you and I talked, we were just in the early stages of like really handing over the reins to, to our players. And then, you know, I think it was maybe two more years I was there where that really fully took shape to the point. And I think, you know, I think we had a lot of success with that where it led me to think about my career longer term and not just five years, but really 15 years, 20 years, you know, is, is a lot of time. And, and what does that look like for me? What, you know, could I potentially end up going and doing? I think the other thing, cause our players had taken the reins from me at Purdue and we're doing such a great job that quite honestly, and you have one of my players right now, yeah. Dakota Mathias, so he can tell you, <laughs> but you know, the last, my last two years at Purdue, those guys ran it, you know, and, and quite frankly, whether I was there or I wasn't there, I don't think anything would have changed. They were running it so well. So it gets you to think about what's bigger, what's next, what's, what's the next new challenge, which led me down a pretty interesting path of initially thinking I was going to law school. And we can talk about that more later if it's interesting, but then ultimately getting recruited by a fitness technology startup out in Silicon Valley, San Francisco called Future. So this is two and a half years ago now. I kind of made the leap from, you know, working in hoops and strength and conditioning sports performance to, you know, helping build a, you know, at the time, eight person seed stage startup tech company to now today, two and a half years later, a really well capitalized, well funded startup. We've been through a few fundraising rounds and you know, like a hundred, hundred people. So doing that all now, but really just started as a kid with a dream to play for the Chicago Bulls. And, (laughs) you know, when I, when I figured out that wasn't, you know, in, in the cards, I I had to figure out another way in and, you know, that's kind of led me down this journey. I love it. So talk to me about this, man. Like you spent how many years with the Bulls? Including your so four years in total. So four years with the Bulls, seven years at Purdue. That's eleven years in basketball. Man, I would assume like if you got bored at Purdue, you could have had your choice of a lot of other jobs out there. So what prompted you to like do this total one eighty? I remember when you told me you were taking this job. I think it was at our summit. You told me like, bro, I'm taking this job. Like, I can't believe this. I'm moving to San Francisco. I'm like, what? So, (laughs) so talk to me, what was the mindset there? And like, what, what piqued your interest to move into this totally new space for you? Yeah. I mean, so this opportunity itself, I I think was something I could have never imagined or fathomed even as like, I think throughout my career, you know, like I just said, I I mean, shoot, I, I started as a, as a young kid, like, convinced and you couldn't tell me any different and it, it didn't matter family friend whoever and my friends were clowning on me like I was going to play for the Bulls <laughs> to the point like I'm in college I'm not even playing for a team and I was like well if I keep working you know like yes maybe I'll find a way and like get seen you know I was yes but you know fortunately even with that I always had the like quote-unquote backup plan and so I think that's what that's what launched my career was like you know being crazy enough to think that, but then it was like, okay, well, 
if for some reason, let's just say I don't play for the Bulls, as crazy as that may sound, <laughs> you know, kind of what's what's another way? And then it was like, well, you know, falling in love with just the process of training and, and development and getting better and, you know, learning that that was that that was a job. So it led me down this path of what does that even look like and how do I get there? Who are the people in positions that I would like to one day get to, which at the time for me was head NBA strength coach, really Chicago Bulls, you know, or high major D1 college basketball strength coach. You know, I kind of set this goal for myself, probably late high school, early college, where I said, you know, by the time I'm 35, I'll be either a head NBA strength coach or high major college basketball. But not just that, I'll be able to get any job there is. Any job I want in basketball, I'll be able to get by the time I'm 35. So now all of a sudden when I'm 22 and I graduate college, I have my dream job essentially. It was I started as an internship with the Bulls. Sure. But to me even that was my dream. In fact, right. I think I told this story maybe the first time I came on with you, but in 3rd grade, I had a teacher who had an assignment like write a letter to your future self 15 years in the future. And I don't know how she did it, but somehow 15 years later she mailed all these letters out. So I get this letter in the mail. I'm living at home at the time. It's my second week as an intern with the Bulls. I open it up. It's my like third grade handwriting. <laughs> and it says, I'll be the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. So in a lot of ways, that was my full circle moment. Even yeah. at 22, I, I left that internship. I did some traveling. I was in Australia, spent some time at Australian Institute of Sport, went and worked for Mike Boyle in Boston, which I think is where you and I very yeah. first met for just shy of a year. And then the assistant position opened up with the Bulls and, and they asked me to come back. So now I'm 24. I'm the assistant strength coach for the Chicago Bulls. And really it's like, well, shoot, I set this goal for 35 and I'm 24. I already have my dream job. Like I set, I set the sights too low kind right. of thing. So then it was like, well, what's next? And it led me down this path of high performance director. And it was at the time where at a time where, you know, you didn't see that role anywhere in the U.S. In fact, I got to give Dave Tenney a ton of credit because I think he was the one person in yep. the U.S. at the time where you did see that. And he was building that with the Seattle Sounders. But outside of Europe and Australia, you didn't see it anywhere. And so even that was kind of a crazy idea at the time. I'm 24, 25, and I'm like, forget being a head NBA strength coach. I want to oversee everything that touches a player's development. So again, fast forward three years later, I'm 27. Mike Boyle recommends me for this role with Purdue. And it was really a fortunate opportunity that I didn't realize at the time. Because at the time, you know, we're coming off of Derek, Derek Rose wins MVP. We're the best, you know, best record in the NBA. I'm 27 living downtown Chicago. Like, you know, Life's good. I mean... Yeah, life is great. <laughs> and so now I remember even my interview, I go to West Lafayette and it's like, man, it's it's the cornfields. It's a small town. Like, no way. You know, like, yeah. like there was there was nothing in me that, you know, what was like, this is the move. But it, it, it turned out to be very fortunate, like listening to my mentors, you know, like Mike, Eric Allen with the Bulls and everyone that knew what was best for me, pushing me that that's the next step in my career. So now at 27, 
why I say it was a fortunate opportunity was because that program didn't really exist. You know, they didn't believe it or not. They didn't really have much of a, you know, strength and conditioning sports performance program. In fact, all the players went home in the summer, you know, which is crazy. Like, right. uh, you know, perennial, perennial top 25 team. But anyways, it allowed me to build something from the ground up. And it also allowed me to kind of scratch the itch of kind of, you know, high performance director type role in some ways. Right. Because we were the first team in in college basketball, one of the first in basketball period to have GPS and be using that. We were the first to be doing, you know, fatigue screenings and, you know, like game day, you know, readiness type of type of things throughout and wellness and, you know, a whole bunch of different things than our, you know, things we were doing with speed training and all these things. And so it really allowed me to scratch that itch. And like I said, you know, and kind of lastly, because the thing I was doing was I was literally manufacturing challenges for myself by the end because it was like I was kind of getting bored. So it was like, let me create like problems that don't (laughs) even exist. But let me, you know, things are going well. Let me turn it on its head and break it to see if I can build it back up even better or we can. And then by the end, it was like, okay, even this high performance director thing, that's too small in in my mind because I've kind of scratched that itch. I haven't like officially held that title per se, but I've like done the things and then then looking out for the first time 15 years, 20 years, as opposed to just five, as I think you do when you're young, you always think five years. Yeah. And finally, I thought 20 years. And what was also really timely, I'm a huge Cubs fan, full disclosure, but I was reading the book, The Cubs Way, which even if you're not a Cubs fan or a baseball fan, I would recommend to anyone. And reading about Theo Epstein in particular and his journey, and he's someone you'd put on the Mount Rushmore of, you know, general managers or architects of a team. He broke the two biggest curses probably in sports. Right. And his path to become a GM was relatively non-remarkable. Like he just worked his freaking tail off. You know, he worked his butt off and he took advantage of opportunities and he put himself in position for opportunities. But one of the things he did was when he was in his mid 20s and he was working in the front office in an operations role for the Padres, he went to law school and he got his JD. And so kind of on a whim, this is my last year at, at Purdue going into my last season, I was like, what if I go to law school? Because then, you know, could that maybe open the door? Forget being a high performance director. Why couldn't I be the general manager or team president of an NBA team? Mm. That's And that's crazy. Right, it's absolutely right, right. Crazy. But 20 years is a lot of, like, you want to go be a brain surgeon or astrophysicist, 20 years, you can go and do, do that. that. Exactly. Like, you know, it's it's a lot of work. It's not, it's simple it's not easy you know but the path is there and so i actually did i you know crammed and two months later i took the lsat got accepted to seven different law schools and that was my plan i was going to law school and i had it lined up where you know whatever city i was in for law school i was going to either work in an m run off in capacity or on the other side of the table in an agency 
And out of nowhere, I get an email about this like crazy fitness tech company startup in Silicon Valley that kind of sounded too good to be true because it was like our CEO is an astrophysicist by trade, like kind of ran product with, with Google early on with like driverless cars and all this other stuff. Our CTO was part of the original iPhone team. It was a 20 person team, top secret, even inside of Apple that built the first ever iPhone. That's our CTO. He's one of the people on that team. And he himself developed the first iteration of FaceTime and iMessage. And then our COO is the first ever employee and ran ops early at DoorDash, which today is, I don't even know, like a $30 billion company or something. So my first reaction is like, man, I'm being like catfish. Like this is, <laughs> they're going to ask for my account, you know, my bank account or something. But, you know, I was in a position where it's like, let me see, you know, what this is even. And it was probably a two to three month process getting to know my co-founders, being fortunate myself to have a really strong decision making circle, in particular, some close friends and colleagues who've been very successful in the tech and startup world. And so they were really advising me to see what this opportunity even could be. And and the thing I realized was like, man, everything I thought I was going to get out of law school, this opportunity is that on steroids. Like they're literally going to pay me to learn and actually do all the things, not not theory, not, you know, like I'm actually doing it. And the thing that was resounding that everyone was telling me was like, look, you go and do this in one year, you'll grow five years professionally. And even credit to, you know, my my CEO who was recruiting me and our, our COO at the time who was recruiting me, they told me point blank, they're like, Josh, look, come and do this with us. Help us build this thing for a year, two years. And even if you hate it, you, you know, whatever. Now, if you have your own idea and you want to build something of your own, you want to start a company, you want to, you know, do whatever you're going to have all the relationships with venture capitalists, investors, all of these things where now you can go and do that. Because, and the thing they said to me, which always stuck with me, was out here, out in this world, VCs and investors, more than they invest in ideas and products, they invest in people. So if you come, you take this bet on yourself, two years from now, you might have your own crazy idea. You're actually going to be able to go and do it. So it was like, man, let's, let's, let's take this leap. And it was definitely that first year was definitely the hardest, you know, of my life. So I love but it. it's, it's been a crazy ride. I love it. Okay. So talk to me about future. And any, anytime I say the name, I just think of the rapper, not just your, <laughs> your platform, yeah. but yeah, talk uh, to me, like, what is the app all about? A little tougher. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But what's the app all about and how is it designed to help its users? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll start with the vision because I think that gives context to what we've built to date and where we are now, but ultimately what this becomes. Because I think it's very easy from the outside to look at it and go, oh, like that's cool. It's, you know, this digital personal training app or it's an online training app. But really the vision is it becomes so much bigger than that. The, The ultimate vision is you know, when we're successful, we, f- we fill this void that exists in our country of preventative healthcare. And so, you know, I think where we started, and, and this is really a tribute, you know, this is our CEO, you know, who 
our you know founder who it's his vision and and the problem space that we're trying to solve for but he you know i mentioned briefly our our ceo you know he played soccer at stanford so high level athletic background right. when he graduated stanford he was actually an astrophysicist by trade so he worked for nasa actually for i think 3 or 4 years he's solving all these crazy problems but at the same time it was things where it took 2 years 3 years to solve this equation and as he always puts it it's like at the end of it it was really challenging but there's five people maybe on this planet who even understand or care about the thing that he just solved. And so that led him kind of down his path where it's like, I want to have a larger impact, like kind of on the world and people especially. So first he thought that was Google. He ended up at at Google where he was kind of running product and Google reporting to one of the co-founders, Sergey. And then he realized that wasn't it. That's too big of a company. Went on, started his own company called Soch. That got acquired by Postmates ran product inside Postmates for about a year and then left, got into venture capital investing himself for about a year and a half, two years. Was particularly interested in the fitness and healthcare space. And also he was seeing a lot of it because his his wife is a really high level doctor in the UCSF hospital systems. And what he kept seeing and even hearing about, you know, founders talk about is this void that exists in our healthcare industry today in that everything is reactive. And so you have all these chronic type conditions, obesity, diabetes, you know, heart disease, that's trillions and trillions of dollars every year going into these things. But today it's not until the point at which your doctor can tick a box because you already are obese or you already have diabetes. And now they tick a box and now you qualify for all this care and coverage and, you know, probably medication. But at that point, you know, it's, it's, it's really too late. It's, it's not, but it is. But it's like, well, what if something was done about this, you know, well in advance, you know? And, and I think when you look at the problem space, the first thing you see is 70% of our country is obese or overweight. So seven out of every 10 people, which is alarming. When you think about it, though, you actually realize you're like, yeah, unfortunately, that seems about right, you know, which is it's sad. And then when you look a a layer deeper, 80 percent of our population either is not active enough or at all. Eight out of 10 people. And so, you know, that's where you see this epidemic of all these chronic type diseases. And when you look deeper, it's not for a lack of content. In fact, we're overwhelmed with content and, and, and high quality content. There's amazing brands and gyms and products and apps and coaches. Amazing. But yet every single year of the millions and millions and millions of people who either try to become active for the first time or again, 80% of them fail within the first two months and they're no longer working out. So what that tells us is even with this abundance of content and resources and all these things, and quite frankly, people know, you know, people know I need to be more active. People know I need to, you know, stop eating fast food or, or late night pizza or, you know that, but yet like you do it. So nothing has ever worked. And so when we looked at it and anytime you look at a problem space like that and you're trying to solve it at scale, the first thing that you do or you try and do 
is look and find who is the small subset of the population that's already solved this problem. And for us, where we took our attention was professional athletes and billionaires, not just millionaires, but billionaires. And the thing that both of those populations have in common is any one of them that gives a crap at all about you know their day-to-day health and well-being is overwhelmingly successful. And when you look at it, the reason for that is because they're able to literally outsource every aspect of their health and wellness. It's not even just the one-to-one, you know, performance coach, personal trainer that they have who literally is in their life every single day, not just building the path, but I mean, they're there on demand, basically, you know, anytime this person wants to work out, any of that. But beyond that, they get to know them. They have a relationship, you know, they're able to ride the highs and lows of this other person's life to support them. But beyond that one-to-one, billionaires and professional athletes actually have this constellation of people surrounding them who are all experts, who all give a crap about them and get to know them and work together. So it's, you know, they have their coach, they have their physical therapist, they have someone who's working with them on, you know, mental health, mental performance, sleep and recovery and stress. They have someone who's helping them with that. They have not just a dietitian, they have a chef who literally puts in front of them what to eat when they need to eat it. And it's like curated to, you know, exactly what they need based on their, you know, all these factors and it tastes good and on and on. Well, it turns out, you know, the rest of us don't have access to something like that. And even if we did, we couldn't afford it. And so that's where we started from was like, how do we one day get there where we've now built this constellation of people that's both accessible and affordable to everybody else? And so it was like, well, it makes sense to us. Let's start with coaching, because it turns out if we compare you with a really high level you know, elite performance coach, personal trainer, you know, these other areas that complement your health, your nutrition, your sleep, your stress, and things like that, really high level performance coaches, personal trainers get it. And they under, maybe they're not a, you know, like you and I, we're not registered dietitians, but we know enough about nutrition to be helpful to the average person because a lot of it's lifestyle and behavior and all that. So it made sense to start there. And, and our bet was kind of, our bet was really this, nothing else has worked because nothing else pairs you with a real person who's in your life every day, not in-person training. You know, I mean, I think for me, if I wanted to come train with, with you, like with my, you know, what I could afford, I couldn't afford you every single day. Like I just, I, some people can. And so now this is something where you have a coach in your life every single day who's, who's texting back and forth with you, who's checking on you, but they're, they're setting the path for you. They're, they're, they're setting the path for you to be successful. And if you do fall off as you inevitably will, they're checking in with you right away. They're not letting you go you know, three days missing workouts and, you know, you just kind of fall into this, this void all over again. They're, they're right there with you, but they know you enough to know when to put an arm around you, when to, you know, give you, give you a kick in the butt and those sorts of things. So that's kind of where we are today is, you know, we've built this amazing team, nearly a hundred coaches who are doing that, you know, and, and our clients are, 
everywhere in the country. I think we're 49 out of 50 states now that we we have, you know, clients and, and representation. But ultimately out of doing this is how we earn the right to start to more formally ladder up into other areas of your health, you know, with nutrition, with mental health, mental performance, stress and sleep and all that to ultimately one day, actually your doctor is part of our platform. That's awesome. I love that. Okay. Now taking that, I realize this next question is sort of basic, but I know both Mm -hmm. myself and my listeners would love to know, like, what is your job look like or yeah. consist of on a day-to-day basis because you come from a coaching background and your job today is a lot different. So what does that look yeah. like? Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh it's something that that probably changes every three months or so, which is kind of the nature of of the company that we're building. You know, when when I joined, it was a pretty big leap. And in fact it was a leap where everyone advising me told me one hundred percent expect that this will fail in one year. That's what everyone told me. And they're like, with that in mind, you have to do it. But in one year, 100%, this will fail. You guys, you know, you, you won't get to your next round of funding. You'll be out of money and, you know, whatever. So starting out, it was, you know, eight of us in this like basement office in, in San Francisco, like the most stereotypical startup, like whatever you picture as like the startup office, that was our office, like to a T. (laughs) And so at that time it was, you know, we'd, we'd been able to, ra- or, you know, my co-founders had been able to raise $3 million seed financing just on the strength of our founding team and having a really great idea. But we had yet to build the product. When I came on, we were kind of in the early stages of, of the product had sort of been built. We had about 70 or so what we call beta clients. Like we were beta testing, like it wasn't yep. publicly available. And, you know, I, I inherited three coaches at the time who who had been around to kind of, you know, help get it started. They'd spent probably about a year trying to hire for for ultimately for my position. So the first thing I had to do was, you know, really come in and, and think about, you know, how do we even make this work? How do we we're never seeing you in person and yet we're going to build this authentic relationship with you where you have trust and you have a connection with your coach that unlike everything else, this actually works. You actually stick with it. Like, how do we craft that experience? Right. What is what is the playbook for doing that and, and kind of best practices? And so the first thing I had to do was actually coach myself. You know, so I had a, a pretty decent client load myself. And, and my CEO said to me at the time, your number one order of business is, and I thought I was getting out of coaching. I was like, man, I I don't think I'm ever going to train anybody ever again. (laughs) And he was like, your number one order of business is you have to be undeniably the best coach in the world on this form of coaching. And you have to figure out what that looks like because we don't know yet. So that was kind of step one. (laughs) Kind of a big task. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Just be the best in the world at this. Right, right, right. Exactly. And, you know, I think fortunately there weren't too many people doing it yet. So, you know, that, that probably helped my, uh, my cause a little bit, you know, so to learn from there. But then the next thing was ultimately you're going to have to build this team because one day, and, and I kind of alluded to it, but to say it explicitly, 
this is not something where we want to help, you know, thousands of people. This is something where not even millions of people. Our vision is ultimately we're able to help hundreds of millions of people. So you can already like imagine how many coaches that is like, right. you know, this is something where ultimately when we build this thing and we're successful, we will be the single largest employer of performance coaches in the entire world. And even just over the next, you know, two to three years, I think we have the opportunity to get there potentially. And so it's like, how do we build our team? And so you know, it's it's giving credibility to what we're doing within the industry, you know, using my connections. And and that's how it started out, too, because I had to hire, you know, I had to make some really key hires early on. And at this time, we don't even have a website, barely. You know, you, you think like most of your listeners probably haven't heard of us today, you know, think about three years ago, you know, so I had the the first hire I made is Renee Zernike, who she was the director of women's basketball at Wisconsin. And I was just fortunate that she was working under my mentor from the Bulls, Eric Helen, because we didn't know each other that well, but I just knew she was a rock star. I knew. And somehow I found out she was a little intrigued by what I was doing. And I just, I just jumped at that. I was like, let me, you know, let me talk to her. Let me get her excited because I need, I need a, a strong, like, number two to, to kind of help me build it. But I remember even just convincing her to come. It was like, it was like, I swear we're a real company. I know what you're <laughs> thinking. I, I wasn't sure if we were a real company too. And like, I've been here for a month now and I've gotten paid on time twice. So like, you're going <laughs> to get paid too, you know, you're like, good. I wasn't sure. And fortunately, you know, somehow she took the leap with us. And then it was, I think my next two hires were one was someone I'd hired at Purdue. The other was a former intern of mine at Purdue. My next two hires were people I didn't know directly, but they'd been mentored by Mike Boyle. So again, shared mentor. Yep. So now we're building momentum, you know? And then, so that was kind of year one was like, you know, how do we build this product? How do we prove that this even works? And how do we show that we can actually get really good coaches to come on board? Because we had to show that in our world, everything is about right now getting to your next financing milestone of like venture capitalists and investors giving you more money. So I, I started in April by December of that same year. We were able to be really successful there. And we raised our Series A round, which was eight and a half million dollar, you know, additional capital top of the three million at they had raised before I joined. And so that that brought us to kind of phase two of the company is like, okay, now you've proven this idea has worked, but there's no scale to it. We had, you know, 150 clients. Now you got to go take this money and first over this next year, build the infrastructure to prove that you can scale. And so that meant grow our team massively. So over 2019, we went from having 10 coaches to I think like 55 or something. Wow. And so I hired every single one of those coaches. But then as you can imagine, it's like, how do we then architect that team? You know, how do we get, how do we get the right people? Yep. How do we get everyone moving in the same direction and, and collaborating and work? And how do we, how do we open up the space and the environment for everyone to really contribute and be fulfilled and come up with crazy and great ideas. The other thing we had to do was we launched publicly in May of 2019 for the first time. 
And so we had to be prepared of like, how are we executing on our playbook when now we're, we're growing overnight, you know, 500% all at once in terms of clients inside of one week. And oh, by the way, we just onboarded 10 brand new coaches. So as you can imagine, a lot of things broke during that time and it's kind of expected. And sure. so my role then really was, you know, largely operations and which, you know, isn't necessarily my forte, but like, how do we put structure and operationalize these processes that we've in phase one figured out like these are this is what great coaching looks like and great experiences look like now how do we operationalize that so our hundredth coach can do that our thousandth coach can do and we know that they're doing that you know and it happens consistently every time so that was really 2019 and that led us to kind of where we are now which is the growth stage of our company where now we kind of go into hyperspeed, where we've built the infrastructure, we've built the sort of retention tools where we know once someone signs up, we know the experience that they're going to have. And we know that, you know, we're going to deliver on all the promises to, to keep them going and to have success and to like have this impact on their lives. Now it's growth. So it means going from thousands of, of clients that we have today to tens of thousands within the year, it means going from around a hundred coaches that we have today to maybe as many as a thousand by the wow. end of next year. And so my role now has shifted to where I'm not so much in the day-to-day of our coaching team. In fact, it's interesting. So I a year ago, I, I reached kind of my high watermark managing people. I was managing 52 coaches directly. They all reported into me. So as you can imagine, you're not having regular one. There's just not, you know, it doesn't. So went from 52 a year ago to 27 in January of this year to now one. I manage one person now, Renee, who I I mentioned. And she's actually, she's now our head of performance. So she runs, she's the general. She executes everything on the ground floor, making sure that we're delivering. And now where my role evolves into is heavily, you know, recruiting and hiring so that we can have potentially a thousand people by next year, the higher level vision and strategy for how we continue to evolve it and and how we're doing it. And now because it's growth stage, the other two things I do are high level brand partnerships, starting to work on that stuff. And then really external relations in in a large way for our company of like, how do we get our brand out there and how do we build our brand? So, you know, PR type of stuff, continuing to build credibility inside of our industry, as well as with our clients, and then some strategic relationships with, you know, investors and like maybe athletes that we want to get involved to help us grow this because now's the time where it's take this thing to the world, Right. you know? That's awesome, man. Okay. So I think this is the last big question I have for you because- Mm -hmm. Those of us that own businesses or that have ever had to hire somebody knows like that's no joke, right? The right hire can be a huge boon to your business and the wrong hire can be like the worst thing ever, right? Like people don't want to come to work. They're an energy drain or an energy vampire and they can really negatively impact the culture. So a couple questions in this here, like how did you determine, because you've hired a lot of coaches now, how did you determine what a good hire is for you? What Mm -hmm. qualities are you looking for? 
And how have you started to build that culture at future based around the culture, the coaches that you've hired? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the very first thing that you have to do is there's no cookie cutter set of values. So even the, even the things I'm going to share right now, they may not be the values that, that make your company successful, but they are the values that I believe make our company successful. And so for us, and, and I think the thing that you need to do anytime either you're building a program somewhere where you're going to be hiring, you know, and, and even interns is a big deal. Like any hire you make is going to have a tremendous impact on your program or your business. It's up to you to do everything that you can to make sure that that impact is a very positive impact because otherwise it's going to be a very negative impact, but it's going to be one or the other. You know, and so, you know, I think where I started was getting in that basement office and really that first month. And it was like, okay, what is this vision? Well, this vision is we're ultimately building something that has never been done before. So there's not even a roadmap to do it. There's not even like necessarily something you can point to or refer to to say, oh, like, here's some ideas. I, You know, it's like this has never been done, especially in our world where like one day we help hundreds of millions of people. So then it's like working your way back. How, like, what do we need to do in order to get there? And, and when at this level, like I always talk about is about winning, you know, and coming from sports. And I, I think, you know, and in fact, in hiring, we've probably optimized or indexed quite a bit on like people who've played sports before, you know, at any level really, because, but especially higher levels, cause you understand and get some of these things, you know, or they've coached on the team sport side. That doesn't mean, you know, our team is still very diverse and very spread, but I always talk about winning. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to win at a level that is so high that nobody's ever done that before. So you got, you kind of got to be a little crazy and all these different things. But anyways, I sat down and, and I wrote out like, the list and kind of a doc of values of what I believed, you know, cause to me it was the people we yes. win. And I think this is true of anywhere is, you know, processes and systems and all that, all that's great. And all that's necessary, very necessary, but without the right people, none of that matters. And so my thing was first and foremost, we're going to win because of our people and the individually and then collectively our team. And so who are those people? And when I thought about it, I think, you know, I read all the freaking time and I talk to people all the time. And so I tapped into a lot of that. And so some of what I'll share, you probably is going to be familiar. But I I wrote a list of five values that are specific to our company and how I believe we win. No particular order. The first thing is just client first. But it's so much bigger than client first. What what client first means, obviously like one day we're going to help 100, you know, hundreds of millions of people. So that speaks very specifically to the mission that we're on. Our mission is literally it's a very simple mission. It's to help as many people as we possibly can and to like, you know, hopefully change their lives. And so client first, but what client first speaks to is none of this is about me. It's all about helping them. So every person that we hire has to get that. They have to resonate with that. They have to embody that of, you know, nothing is about me and my ego. It's all about helping them. And and that's, I think, true of each of my clients and each of my coworkers is having that sort of humility 
and realizing it's so much bigger than myself, especially what we're doing. And I think where that's important, especially from a coaching standpoint, is I think a lot of us at times get so consumed with how someone else, like it's all the the crazy Twitter battles, like who cares? Like if you want to squat, you want to split squat, you want, <laughs> like who cares? Right. If it works for you, like it works for you. But I think we get caught up in these ego battles of like, well, whatever my client does is a reflection of me. And it's like, no, it's not. Whatever they do is for the, and is it good for them? And does it help them? And especially what we're doing, we're trying to help the 80% of the population that doesn't work out at all. So like nothing else has worked. So like if it starts out where they're do the things they'll do might not necessarily be the things that where you're like, oh, that's exactly what, I, you know, a sound program. But guess what? They'll do it right, right. now. They just need to be active more than they're not. Yes. So put your ego aside and just help them, you know? So that's one. The, you know, the second thing is we have to be relentless. And I, and I think everything I've said, you know, speaks to it, but it's the larger thing. And it's, you know, all the advice I was getting, this is the hardest job that any of us probably will ever have. Not for the amount of hours necessarily that we put in, but because we have to be switched on at all times. When you talk system one, system two, we're always solving problems. We're all, there's always new problems. There's always more problems. Some of them interesting, some of them not at all. As it relates to our clients, it, again, it's the 80% nothing's worked for. So if we've tried 100 different ways to help this person, we can't give up. We can't ever give up. We have to come back, you know, dust off our emotions and frustrations, and then go, go back to the drawing board and, and come up with the 101st idea. And if, if I can't come up with it, then I got to lean on the resources I have. But somehow, some way, I got to come up with the 101st thing. That doesn't work, 102nd thing. And then everything we're building has never been done before. So, so we're going to fail way more than we succeed. We're going to get way more wrong than we get right. You know? And so you know, the thing I talk about is like anything less than that is really like kind of mediocrity, and which is fine. But it's not going to help us win at the level that we're trying to win. The third thing is positive vibes. You spoke to it like energy giver, energy taker. Yeah. The thing I kind of steal from there is a lot of Adam Grant's work in particular. And there's a lot of other people who've talked on it. But when you talk about, you know, really simplifying it, there's three types of people in this world, givers, takers and matchers. And a giver is someone who does whatever they can, whenever they can, because they can to help someone else. That's it. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Whatever they can, whenever they can, because they can. Not like there's an ulterior motive, not like um, I do this for you, you know, you owe me one down the line. And not even like implicitly, you know, not saying it, but implicitly being like, I'm going to, you know, I, I did this thing for Mike. I'm going to come back to them and, you know, ask right. for something. basically expecting that that person is never going to do anything back, but you're just doing it, you know, whatever you can, whenever you can, because you can. The next type is, you know, a matcher where it's tit for tat. It's quid pro quo. Like, Mike, I'll do this for you. But then, you know, I kind of expect I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Right. And even if I don't directly say it, I expect it's it implied. Kind of yeah. Right. And that's okay. You know, but for us, that's not going to work. It's just not going to work. We're not yeah. going to win with that. And then the and then the third type, which we just got to steer as far away as possible from, is takers. Now, the tough thing in hiring with takers is the really good ones 
you know, they're good for a reason. They, they understand a way because what takers do, they get you to do something for them without ever doing anything in return for you. And the really good ones kind of have it down of like how they, you know, and so we got to see that we got to avoid that. But it's so important that across the board, every individual we hire is a giver as it relates to our clients and as it relates to working together. So be a giver. And then I think I got the, I got on a different tent, but then, and then positive vibe. I think I said positive yeah. vibes, but I went into, so sorry, I, I got off track. <laughs> so be a giver. Yeah. Now I'll get to positive vibes. So positive vibes, just the, the, the nature of what we're doing. It, 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 like I said, it's going to be probably the hardest thing that we ever do. Any one of us, yeah. we're going to be frustrated. We're going to be like ready to quit. We're going to, you know, all these emotions. Like I said, my first year was the hardest year of my life. And so it's unrealistic to think that individually, we won't each have our moments, our days, our weeks, maybe even our month where we're like, man, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm stressed. I'm frustrated. I'm mad. I'm an, like, whatever. That's going to happen, but collectively our majority has to be positive. You know, like if I have my moments or my days, I need you to be positive and not a fake positive, not a like, you know, authentically, you know, and have that energy to pick me up and to say, hey, like we got this. Here's how we're going to solve this here. I'm going to help you with this thing, this thing over there. Like you can do, you know, and whatever. And we got to pick each other up in that way. And then the fifth thing is, and I kind of steal this from improv culture. And there's a book by the same name actually is yes. And so we have to yes. And each other, you know, and we have to embody that. And what yes. And is, is, you know, if you think of it in the, in the pure improv context, anytime you do an improv scene or you've seen an improv scene, the really good ones, why they work is because every single person up there, it's not just you by yourself. It's, you know, five people, however many people, every person up there has to be in the moment and open to everyone else's idea and what everyone else does and what everyone else says. You have to be in the moment because you got to be listening. You know, you got to be present and you got to be open to it because if you have your preconceived idea of how this scene is going to play out, but the person in front of you talks and they say something that's a total 180 from what you were like, you were painting the picture in your head and what you wanted them to say, it's not going to work out. It's going to be a terrible scene. It's like the, you know, you set up the scene and the first person's like, oh man, it's pouring down rain out there. What are we going to do today? And then you go and you're like, what are you talking about? It's not raining. It's sunny. Like I kind of inherently, I said, but like I right. challenged, I challenged your notion right. and like that makes for a terrible improv scene. You know mm -hmm. that it doesn't work. I have to like, maybe even I, I thought I was going to go with a sunny day for the scene, but you just said it's raining. So I have to just go with that. And right. I'm going to say something crazy too. And you're like, man, yeah, like there's literally pigs falling from the sky, like, like truly pigs, like, the, you know, and then you got to like, or whatever it may be. Right. That's how we have to work together. We have to create that environment where no idea is a dumb idea. No idea is too crazy of an idea because, you know, first of all, ideas can come from anywhere. And an idea that, you know, may start as a dumb idea maybe the thing that gets us to solve this problem that nobody's ever solved before. And you steal that from companies like Pixar, like Creativity Inc. is another yep. great book where like I steal some of that stuff from. But like we have to create the space 
where when we're trying to solve problems, everyone on our team is on our team for a reason. And they're not, we don't, we don't all think the same. We don't all, and in fact, we don't all program the same. We program very different. So not only are we deep, we're very diverse. We have people who have very strong sports psych backgrounds where like the programming and, and writing workouts, they're solid, but they're off the charts in like EQ and communication and that. And then we have other coaches who like, I mean, they could break down every like Soviet block, like <laughs> periodization concept on this planet, you know, and then they're like solid communicators, but they're not as, you know, and then we have people who've worked with, you know, pre and postnatal and are experts there. And we have people that are experts for science and all this. So we have such this like crazy diverse group. We have to create the space that everyone feels comfortable to just speak up and share a crazy idea. And like, we don't do that if you share an idea and I go, ah, yeah, I see what you're saying, but, you know, and then I say what I'm going to say, because the second I put that but in there, now it just becomes about who's right. It's about if you're right or I'm right. And it's not about getting to the best idea and solving the problem, you know? And so I think it's been those five things together. And in fact, it's crazy. We just had 16 new coaches start all on the same day about a month ago. And that was the most coaches we ever onboarded together in one week. Throughout the first month, I kind of do like sort of a debrief, you know, almost with, with each of them where I'm just like, hey, how's it going? You know, what are you liking? But more important, like, and I'm interested in that. What do you hate? Like, what sucks? Like, what, you know, right. what frustrates you and all this? And it was just crazy because to a T, every single one of them was like, man, the people here are just amazing. Like how everyone is so like talented, so driven to learn and hungry, but also so open to other people and so open to just help and share. And I'm thinking, I'm like, man, we wrote this doc. I wrote this doc in a leaky basement, you know, with, with nobody, not even a website. And now here we are, we have nearly a hundred coaches and I mean, like some, a couple of the coaches we just hired are actually Olympians themselves, not coached Olympians. They're Olympians themselves. And wow. they happen to coach one of our coaches like the that we just hired is the private performance specialist for the entire career for a, a very, very high level all star NBA player. And he's saying, you know, so it's not it's not yeah. like. It's not like it's just like, you know, so like some of our newer coaches who like, you know, they're they're early out of college and they're like, oh, you know, it's people that have been some places now and they're saying this and how connect and, and we're in a fully remote world. Yeah. And they're like, man, I've never met a single one of our team in person. And yet I've never felt more connected with the people I work with anywhere That's I've awesome. ever been, you know, and it's, it's just like crazy to reflect on and like kind of see that now come to fruition, but it's, but we would be foolish if we just rested, you know, because your, your culture, and that's why I say values instead of culture, because your culture is only what your culture is not only today, but in this moment. And if you're not constantly fighting, not just to protect your culture, but to evolve your culture, then, you know, it, it is going to fall apart ultimately. And I think that's also what we've looked at in hiring is I think a lot of people talk about, you know, culture fit. I think we talk about culture add, 
Like this mm-hmm. person's got to add to our culture, I not like fit our culture. They have to add. They have to challenge our culture. They have to evolve it. They have to help make us better. How does this person make us better? And when you look at, and it's crazy because it's, like I said, nearly 100 coaches, I can look at every single one of them. And if we had the time, I could go through and I could tell you specifically at least one thing, if not two to three, that they're better than than anyone on our coaching team and probably anyone in our company, you know, and I think that's how we, like I said, win at this level that no one ever has before. That's cool. That's cool. All right, man, we're kind of running up against the clock here, but I want to bang out this lightning round. All right. Yeah. So amazing depth on those questions. These are fairly short. Your answers can be as short or as long as you'd like. All right. So let's go. Number one. What do you miss the most about coaching yourself on a day-to-day basis? Mm-hmm. It's just the relationships, you know, and, and, and that, and that's me. But you know, the awesome thing is like, I, I still have those, like those are lifelong relationships. Yes. So like Dakota, who you coach now, like, you know, I'm still talking to him. I'm still yeah. checking on him. I'm still, you know, trying to see how can I help him and, you know, even his wife is doing crazy stuff. And, and actually I need to bug him a little bit more because <laughs> I'm like, Hey, like, is there anything I can do to help Gabby? But, you know, I think, I think when you, when you do it for the right reasons, it becomes about family. And so yeah. I, I see, you know, all those people I coached and coached with, not just coached with the bulls and at Purdue, it's family and, and, and families forever, you know? So that's, that's the piece. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay, number two, similar, a little bit different. What do you miss the most about being around basketball players all the time? I mean, man, that's you know, that's just my passion. Like mm-hmm. that that's that's even that's just even the reason I am where I am today. It it, it started through basketball. Like basketball's been this incredible gift in my life. And even though although like, you know, I'm thirty seven, so maybe I still got a couple more years to like I'll come start training with you in Dakota. Let's go, get man. That, you get know, you in that pro group, man. Yeah, we'll be ready. Yeah, exactly. But in spite of like not reaching the like ultimate childhood dream of of playing in the NBA, basketball has just given me this incredible gift of, you know, learning how to to lead and 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 build teams and a culture and it's opened doors for me and opportunities and so anytime I'm back around basketball, like before everything shut down, I went to Chicago for NBA All-Star Weekend. And I think always, no matter what, no matter where I end up, like even that weekend, I was like, I just feel at home. Like yeah. this just feel like, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's, 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 it's that, but it's the amazing thing is what's, what basketball has given me to like kind of leverage all of those things to continue to grow. And for me, it's been to continue to grow my platform, to have a much larger platform, to help so many more people sure. and so many more like excellent and driven people reach, you know, heights that they probably never even dreamed of themselves. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Okay. Number three, I'm going to have to change this a little bit because the original question was, what's your favorite thing about living in the Bay Area? But you're kind of doing <laughs> no bad, nomad lifestyle yep. thing right now. So what's your favorite thing about that? Yeah, I mean, it's just the freedom and flexibility right now is is awesome. I'm naturally an introverted person. Like I've I've learned to play the role of an extrovert as needed. But but naturally I'm introverted. Like, you know, I 
on weekends, all I do is read, you know, and, and like have my coffee and chill and I'm low key. I do my, I do my runs and I do my obnoxious daily deposit that I tag you in half the time, (laughs) but I'm super low key. And so for me, I love it because, you know, it allows me kind of some of that space to do those things and be with my family and my wife. And, but also for us, I I love adventure and I love seeing new things, meeting new people, learning, you know, new things. And so for us, it's allowed us the opportunity working fully remote and, and kind of being nomad for at least this next year, we're kind of bouncing around and like living, you know, long-term Airbnbs, different places we've always wanted to go. So like next month, we're going to live in Juneau, Alaska for the month, just because like, why not? And when would we ever get that opportunity? So for me, it's, I love it. I love it, man. That's awesome. Okay. Last but not least, man, number four, what's next for Josh Bonatal? Man, you know, we'll see. I think, you know, the, I think the really good thing is, and this has been true of my entire time with future is as much as my role has evolved is the interesting thing here is you truly see there's no ceiling whatsoever. There's only a ceiling if you make one because maybe you solve some problems, you get exposed to some things, but then you figure it out and you could just keep going down that path and be on autopilot. I think the amazing thing that like my CEO Rishi in particular has done for me as a mentor is every single time I start to get comfortable. Cause I think I told you this when, when we, you know, talked, I was like, man, you know, I, I kind of thought this would be like building a program. I knew it was going to be so hard, you know, so much work, but then over time I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll learn it and it'll settle in and it'll become easy. What's true of this world is that it never becomes easier. It only ever becomes harder. It only ever Mm -hmm. becomes, you know, more challenging, more work because you earn the right to, to do more, to, to level up. And so the tribute to my CEO is at every stage where I started to get comfortable and I'm like, man, this thing that was really hard, I got it now. And in fact, like I'm pretty good at this thing now. Like it's like become kind of a superpower. He sort of like unannounced is like, okay, you're ready to level up now. And and like (laughs) all of a sudden I'm like, crap, like I'm right back in this world of like overwhelmed and like, what am I doing? And and you're sort of like, are you sure I couldn't just kind of, you know, stay there and so that continues to happen. And now it's the, you know, some of building our brand and, and things that, you know, skills I haven't fully harnessed yet that right. I'm going to be able to learn and grow. And so what that tells me is I'm exactly where I need to be right now because there's still much more to learn and contribute and especially what we're building to like help people externally in the world. But for me, it's bigger. It's the coaches inside our company, like seeing Renee two and a half years ago, take a bet and, and kind of put her faith and trust in me. And now two and a half years later, she's literally running our company day to day on the coaching side. Like that's what gets me fired up. And so it's having that opportunity. But I think ultimately, you know, whenever I move on from this company, this has opened a lot of doors where, you know, I think it's founding my own company you know, has, has been something that's always really excited me. Another with the emergence of the fitness and health technology space is actually getting into uh, venture capital myself and like investing in different companies, you know, working for obviously not my own money, right. but like 
working for a, a VC firm. And then the third thing, I think there still is that dream of like one day, you know, I'd love to to architect a, an NBA team at, at the top just because I have that passion for it. But now it's sort of become even bigger than like the GM or team president because now it's like some of the relationship have, it's like they themselves one day are probably going to buy an NBA team. Right. So instead of even like in the GM, why couldn't I be the person that's like their advisor or they lean on to help them think about purchasing this NBA team and then who they hire as the GM, as the team president, you know, and, and some of that. It's like, why couldn't I even be, you know, in a very small way, but like a, a, a small like equity stake in a team, especially the way things are going now where you're not seeing single ownership groups because yep. it's, you know, billion dollar purchases. So now you have smaller stakes. So now it's like, why couldn't I have an equity stake one day in an NBA team? But, you know, who knows? We'll see. It's the shoot for the stars. And if you miss, you land on the moon, right? That's right, man. I love it. I mean, like we talked about, I think before the show, it's all about dreaming big, right? Yeah, exactly. I love it. Well, Josh, you've been awesome today, my friend. So great to catch up with you. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing? Yeah, so check out. We we have a ton of stuff coming. We just did a big kind of rebrand with our company at Future. It's future.co, C-O, is our, is our website. And like I said, you know, we're, we're getting ready to, to hire hundreds of coaches over the course of this next year. So, you know, any of your listeners that are, are really interested, you know, you can you can find more about the performance coaching job on our website. Scroll down to the bottom. There's a little job section. And then for me, I probably need to start doing a little bit more with social media and that. But I have my my Twitter account and Instagram are both at Jay Bonital. And I typically like to just put up, you know, a lot of the different books I'm reading and, and lessons I'm learning and quotes. And, but I think, you know, this whole wave, a lot of people are doing these, like these, these threads. Now I was thinking, I, I was like, I, I got to start doing some of these threads and, and hopefully give back and share just some of the lessons I've learned throughout my career, as well as the lessons I've learned making such a big kind of career, yeah. you know, into an entirely new world. So Hopefully I'll find because I keep talking about it, but maybe maybe this will help me like finally start to put some time into that. Maybe that month of Juno will help you out, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, again, Josh, this was amazing, man. Thank you so much for coming back on. No, I appreciate it. It's always fun to, to come on and, and I'm always humbled, man, that, that you have me on. So thank you. my friend. That does it for this week's show with Josh. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. Like I told you up front, I mean, this guy is super fascinating. I love catching up with him. And I mean, what do you say about a guy that basically achieves his boyhood dream at the age of 24? You know, he was successful when he was with the Bulls. He was incredibly successful in his time with Purdue. He's making major moves now with Future. And I just feel like there is no limit to Josh Bonatal. And I'm just really excited to watch him over the next 15, 20 years and see where his career takes him. So if you enjoyed this show, I've got one of two things I would like to ask of you. Number one, if you're not already subscribed, take two seconds out of your day and do that right now. Wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Store, we are everywhere. So if you enjoy the show, if you want this delivered fresh into your inbox each and every week, 
go ahead and subscribe right now. It costs nothing, and I guarantee you it's going to help make you a better coach. Number two, if you already subscribed, I appreciate it. Thank you. Do me one more favor. Go on to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Ratings and reviews are the most surefire way to kind of ensure that young trainers, young coaches, young fitness and rehab professionals are going to learn from the amazing guests that we have on the show each and every week. You know it. My job is, and my goal with this this podcast is to positively impact as many young people and as many trainers, coaches, rehab professionals as possible. So if you would give me a rating and a review for the show, I would very much greatly appreciate it. Okay, my friend, that does it for this week's episode. Again, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.